Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. everyone and welcome into the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes. Our journey through the New Jedi Order is finally over and I can't tell you how fun it was for me to experience the 19 book series again, this time with my friends. Kat, Jay, Matt, K2, and Scott join me again for a roundtable discussion to wrap up our coverage. For those of you too young to catch our Hollywood Squares references, don't worry. Cat, Matt, and Jay, they didn't get them either. Anyway, enjoy the show. So I figure we'll just be a little loosey-goosey on this. I'll go ahead and do an intro and outro later and just uh, put it on there. But um, So here we go with our roundtable um i guess first off i would like to talk to the three that this was the first time they were reading the new jedi order series um and i'm just going to go clockwise what is on my screen so scott you are up in the top left corner i believe that's the jim j bullock square um from hollywood squares i remember him well <laughs> was there a what question did you, directly? yeah what, what did you think of the uh series as a whole it's your first time really reading legends i know maybe you had read one or two books in the past but uh you know it's a 19 book series what'd you think of it it is well so i'm not a shock i've never read any anything that long right like that uh that that many books uh that many pages although yeah no not that many pages uh but i enjoyed it a lot um you know it's a a universe that I'm familiar with, but a bunch of characters I was not. Um, a timeline I wasn't familiar with. I thought they did a good job kind of introducing me to it uh, and, and bringing me along for the ride, taking these characters on a journey. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Kat, how about you? Yeah, it was a fantastic introduction. I had only read the Ahsoka book, and I thought these authors did a great job, and the introductions to these characters makes me want so much more. K2, similar? Uh, yeah, no, I loved it. I, I've said multiple times in my coverage that I was just so pleasantly surprised with what I thought the quality of the storytelling was. Um, I think the writing varied by author maybe a little too much. Um, I think there could be almost some distraction from the lack of continuity. However, I felt like the story was fairly um, um, 
unimpeded by that. I think it was more of the characters, which Scott and I talked about a little bit, how I thought Gina suffered the most from um, that. But I really think the stories are amazing. And anyone listening that did not read them really should go read them because like like Jay and Matt, I'll, I'll wait a few years. I might read them again because it took me, we, we read them so quickly and it took me so long to get used to things. I think there's so many things I just missed. And I actually re, I, well, I, on a hike the last week, I re, I listened to Vector Prime just to kind of say, okay, test myself. It's like three hours on audio, right? And I was like, oh my God, this book is so much better. Mm-hmm. Like knowing who these people were and what was really happening and where the story was going, I just thought the book was, was just so much better than the first time I read it. The first time I read it, I was just trying to, you know, absorb and it was like, work in a way and so anyway I, I really encourage people to to read them and not have to be on a podcast and talk about them because it's distracting did did the three of you have any trepidations considering this series in the legends timeline begins 20 years after return of the jedi so there are characters that come up over those 20 years that you didn't have any familiarity with Jay and Matt and I, regardless of how many Legends books we had read previously, we were familiar with some of the characters, like Mara Jade, the Solo Kids. K2's lover. Yeah, exactly. Kip Duran. Was there any trepidation uh, getting into that? Kat, I'll start with you with that one. Um, I think they did a really good job at calling back certain people and kind of giving a quick recap and then adding on to their character. We got new facets of certain characters like Mara, like Kip. We got to kind of delve even deeper into them. So it just kind of made me want to go back into other books and see where those characters were first introduced. Um, But overall, I think they did a good job of being like, hey, this is where this person had been previously. This is where we're finding them now. And this is how they are going forward. I think they they did some interesting twists and turns with them. So, Scott, one of the episodes I did with you, you mentioned that, yes, there were snippets that the authors put in there saying, oh, this character had this happen in the past. But it wasn't necessarily that important to this story. It was just some sort of nice little tidbit that you got about this character. But if you did find it interesting, maybe it's something for a reader who would like to go back and get that story and they can sort of fill in some of those gaps. It's a nice advertising plug, yeah, for some of the previous work, that's true. But I, I, hopefully, I don't remember exactly what I said. I do remember that conversation, but I don't remember exactly what I said. Hopefully I said something along the lines of, I really like that, even if it's not super crucial to this plot. Because it d- does give me context for that character, where they came from, and what they're like. It gives me a lot more character depth to them. So I'm all about that kind of stuff usually, and I hope that's what I said there. And K2, they just, everyone in the series just immediately became one of your children, or part of your children. Yes. Yes, my tribe. Yeah, I um, I attach quickly to this world. This is a universe that, since it's from my childhood, that I think um, I I can grab on to characters in a world like this rapidly. The Vong weren't, didn't, they didn't do that for me. But yeah, these, uh, particularly all these little Jedi, you know, and the solo kids, it felt like I'd known them for for decades. Um even from that first book. So I thought, I thought it was great. And, you know, I had read, um, 
I had read the Thrawn trilogy, and I think that really, particularly Mara, like, I'm super partial to Mara, right? I think she's just so cool. Um, and Kip, I can't wait to read more about Kip. Matt's going to send me all of his favorite Kip books. So we can well, Jay, Matt, digest. and I obviously have read these books before. Um, this was the first time I had read them in about 15 years. Jay, I know you said that you read them when they were first published, is this the first time you've read them again since nine? Was it ninety nine through two thousand three? Uh, I think I read, it, you know, after they had all come out uh, back to back, or you know, I, I typically if I'm if it's a long series, I'll read like two or three, read something from something else, and then kind of back and forth like that. So I may have done that way back when, um, but yeah, I haven't touched it really since <laughs> since it really finished like i maybe re read them 2007 ish somewhere in there uh but I, I haven't touched them since so going coming back to these and i've said this a few times um while i've been on this felt like almost like a homecoming for me um and you know there are parts of my brain that were going you remember this or when does you, you had that nominor when does this happen i don't remember what happens i just don't remember where it fell or there's a few things that i had pop up that weren't even in this series <laughs> that i remember from reading this series i was like oh whoops <laughs> matt when we spoke you read the new jedi order up until the end so this is the first time that you're kind of in between you're experiencing most of the series again, but you experienced the last couple books for the first time. Yeah. And it was tricky because I was way behind on the last book and K2 and Scott's episode came out and it was so hard to not listen to the episode, but I didn't want to spoil myself. So I didn't. And uh, that was a hardship. You guys, that was a hardship. Uh, not listening to Scott. How and did K2. you do that? Well, sure. I've got, you know, I, I'm I'm quite uh, hardy. I'm, You're a strong. I'm man. strong, strong man. <laughs> no, and I even had a long. I had a long road trip during that time too, which would have been perfect to listen to your guys's episode, and I couldn't. And I couldn't. Uh, Are you okay? I am now. And it, it was tough because that book's a long book. It's I think it might be the long. It's either book. that one or Star by Star. Oh They're the two longest gosh. books in the series. I totally agreed with your assessment of uh, of it being broken up into two books and making it an even 20. Like, who made the decision, let's stop it at 19? Split up that last book. Make it 20. It just works, you guys. Come on. Well, the books are centered around teenagers, so they want to keep it in the teens. Oh, that's a nice thought. <laughs> That's why I like SCAD. Go into marketing. That's why <laughs> I like SCAD. Completely useless ideas. <laughs> That's exactly what they thought. Or most that marketing thing, if no one else has ever done this, so we're going to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So everyone would think 20. Let's do 19. Yeah. <laughs> James will say so, we can do it. Just throw it all into one. <laughs> he won't mind. So a few fun things, you know, we'll talk about on this round table um i know some people have k2 you threw some suggestions out there the rest of you if you got some suggestions to talk about that's great um i just want to start out what was your favorite thing in the series whether it was a book whether it was a character whether it was a moment 
what was your favorite part of the new Jedi Order? Scott, uh, we're going to go clockwise around this thing. Scott, you're first. Jim J. Bullock coming at you again. I feel so bad for your young listeners. They have no idea what, you're, what we're talking about. That makes, no Justin, that makes Justin Paul Lind in the center square. Yeah. I think K2 might be the only other one that gets uh, that with me. Uh, yeah, I, I, so two things. So I love the space battles. A lot of them, we talked about this, and, and you guys talked about this on a lot of your episodes, and I did too on, on a couple of mine. Some of them are really hard to follow. But the inventiveness that these authors took with these space battles to make them unique. In the end, it's a bunch of Hulk and metal flying through space, firing lasers at each other. But they took care to bring about strategy and plot and, and, and movement and tactics in each battle to make them different. And I really enjoyed them. Some of them were harder to follow than others, and we talked quite a bit about that. Um, but, you know, I think the main, the biggest thing, of course, is the growth uh, of and death of the Solo Children, which I think is, you know, probably the really the thrust of this series right and how that was handled seeing the character growth uh i got spoiled for something so a future event for for one of the solo children and i'm very frustrated but uh but but seeing them take those steps of growth uh was 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 a lot of fun you know these this series takes place over four years four and a half years something like that and you know, you see their growth through that time. And it was, it was really fun to watch. We'll go to Soleil Moon Fry in the uh, top square there, Kat. Um, what was your favorite part of the series? That's a Punky Brewster reference, everyone, if you don't know. <laughs> I knew what that was, but I was like, why is she Punky Brewster? I, I, gotta, you I mean, people? it's Hollywood Squares. I got to come up with people from the late 80s, mid 80s, whatever. If I'm Phyllis Diller, Justin's I'm hanging gotta out. Be, oh. Gotta be Shadow Stevens. Oh, down in the bottom center. You guys yeah. might as well I, be I was speaking hoping. like Klingon right yeah. now. <laughs> I, the, the, the biggest thing. Oh, wait. Wrong the, podcast. The, the, we'll be editing whoops. this part right now. Look, there is no center square, but I am going to volunteer to be Paul Lind. He was the greatest center square of all time. 100%. But anyway, Kat, what was your favorite part of the series? This. This right here. The connection that we're making everybody is so much fun um but that's also my favorite thing in the series is um like the different connections that they make through the characters i love the interaction between tahiri and anakin and then tahiri and jaina that was a really fun development and i was um kind of yelling along with uh, scott and k2 at how they could have used that in the last book and they didn't pretty upset about that but you know, that's anger for another day. Um, but just kind of how, like Scott had said, how the Solo kids and the other young Jedi had developed and how they were able to do that with each other. They weren't, none of them were able to do it alone. Jason was a little bit alone in the fact that he did it with Vergeer instead of all the other Solo kids, but he still needed those connections to be able to move forward and kind of figure out his own space within the books. And I really enjoyed those little moments that we got with each of the characters and uh, those connections that they were able to form. I really got a lot out of that uh, from these characters. And that's what made me fall in love with them so quickly is I felt like I knew them through their connections with each other. Hmm. Matt, you're clearly the John Ratzenberger of the group. <laughs> clearly. <laughs> What was your favorite part? Scott's laughing like that's something that I should be ashamed of. I 
Absolutely not. No way, man. Okay. No way. Hey, John Ratzenberger was in The Empire Strikes Back. That's why I put... Yeah, there you go. And like every Pixar movie. Oh. Well, fine. Uh, Have you seen Cheers, Matt? Yeah, I know what it is. John Ratzenberger is Cliff... He's Cliff Clavin. He's the 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 mailman. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Yep. Yep. Don't look at me that way, K2. Um, We're going to need a list of these people when we get off this But yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'll write them down and then never look them up. Uh, You know, guys, I I agree with everything. I I loved reading about how war and conflict can change people and change their relationships with each other over a period of time. This isn't something that happened um, over a couple months period. It isn't even something that happened where, you know, sometimes you have those stories like, like say Star Wars to Empire Strikes Back that happens, you know, there's three years or something like that between A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back, right? Uh, This was you very carefully tracked uh, the progression of these characters and their relationships with each other over a four-year period and how they responded to things. You know, you saw how Kip Duran changed. You saw how Jason changed. You saw how Jaina changed. And that, to me, was the most fascinating part of this book, was seeing how they respond to conflict and how they end up evolving uh, either to survive or to thrive. Um, I'd be really interested, K2. Was it interesting to go back and see Jaina of Vector Prime, see Jason of Vector Prime, see Danny Kui of Vector Prime, knowing what you just read in The Unifying Force? Yeah. They're so cute and little. They felt like <laughs> romper room, like playing, playing in their planes instead of like being these, you know, leaders in a war. Battle-hardened, yeah. Um, it felt more, more. Um, I don't know if you remember in the last roundtable, I was talking about how I expected these books to be a little lighter and a little more playful and that's you know other until you got to Chewie's death those some of the stuff in Vector Prime was like that it felt very kind of like like with the kids light and playful and the mind meld or mm-hmm. whatever and then it got really dark but yeah I, I did they were they were so cute so yeah the 19 book series was light and playful until the halfway point of book one <laughs> <laughs> yeah pretty much but then just them he asked me about the, the kids until they so. killed the Wookiee <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Until yeah, it was Anakin's fault too. Let's make the youngest child guilty. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Anyways. Jay, what's your favorite part of the NJO? Was and is it different? Was it different this time than what you remember reading the first time? It, it, I honestly don't remember what I thought the first time. It, it's been that long. Um, I well, actually, no. I do remember the philosophy from it. Um, was one of those points that stuck with me and I loved that in these books and how they attacked what it meant to be a Jedi um, and the you know the philosophical differences where they're not necessarily either point is neither right nor wrong and sometimes it was a blend of the two sometimes it leaned one way or the other and it but it really did feel like an individual journey um, also, like when I first read these books, I, I was reading a lot of philosophy. I was reading a lot of, um, want to say, higher learning kind of things. So it re- this series really stuck out for me for that. Um, this time around, I, I loved seeing Luke Skywalker be the Jedi Master. I also loved that he sat there and was getting called out for maybe 
being more of a weapon that was forged in a time of need and him actually struggling with the thought that maybe he has done things wrong. Maybe he did miss a lot of lessons, you know, and he's traveled the galaxy trying to figure out what lore to teach his students and can barely find anything because that was one of the Emperor's things when he destroyed the Jedi Order was he hunted down anything that was Jedi and tried to destroy it. So how do you know that you're actually teaching the right things? And, and, and approaching that in this series, I thought that, especially with this new threat that doesn't seem to care about their politics, their religion, their philosophy, and okay, so how do our beliefs match up with them and how do we still be true to ourselves without becoming what we fear? I love that, Jay, what you just said about the, uh, you know, seeing himself or being looked at as a weapon and thinking maybe that's not right and looking for answers. It's a lot, it's a lot like parenting, right? There's a lot of do as I say, not as I do, right? Like, well, yeah, I did that. I didn't know what I was doing or it was a different time or it wasn't right. Don't, don't do that. Right. But also they're like, well, what do I do? And it's like, well, I don't know. I'm still learning how to parent too. So it's, you know, Luke is trying to like raise this new group of Jedi but he doesn't really have the answers. He doesn't have the books that burned up in, you know, uh, the rise of Skywalker or the last Jedi, I guess. He doesn't have the Jedi text to lead him in the right direction, I guess. Right. And, um, you know, it's, it's very much guesswork. He doesn't know what's right. And he's one of the things I love about Luke in this series is he's, he's pretty humble about that. He's like, I don't know. I don't know the answers. I'll listen to the 16 year old kid that has a different idea. Right. I'll listen to Kip who's, mm -hmm done it differently i'll listen let's see let's find out what we can get that's interesting that that is something that you guys took away from this um jay matt you might agree with me i think one of the criticisms of legends as a whole and it's a criticism that i have is the hardest character to write is luke skywalker and i don't think many of the authors in Legends do that good a job writing Luke because as he keeps getting more powerful in the Force, it's almost like Luke is the deus ex machina of Star Wars. He can just come in and save the day. You're right. I do think there are parts of this series where I think they do Luke pretty well. Mm -hmm. um, is that what you got, it out, got out of this, Matt? Do you think they do Luke better in this series than in other things of legends that we've read? Absolutely. You get the Luke in legends that's, he always is confident and he knows what he's going to, what he's got to do. It's almost like he did have those Jedi texts and it's like, I, what I say is right. And I know exactly what's going on. Or you get a Luke that has zero idea. We criticized Stackpole's I Jedi version of Luke on one of our episodes where Corrin Horn has to like put Luke in his place at every turn. And Luke has, he comes off as a bumbling idiot almost in that book. Like he has no idea what's going on. This one, you've got a quietly humble, semi-confident Luke who's willing to listen, but also willing to... Uh, well, towards the end, at least take action. Um, and, uh, but uh, I know that 
What was really satisfying for me was that last book when he just went to town on all the Yuzhan Vong, right? I missed that. Luke had gotten so philosophical throughout the books, and he kind of almost became like this passive, overseeing character. And it was really fun to just see him wielding a Jedi, wielding a lightsaber, like the old days on Jabba's sail barge, you know, and uh, just just dispatching enemies left and right with righteous indignation. So I enjoyed that. It, it's it is tough though, um, as Luke goes forward through the timeline after Return of the Jedi, of not making Luke Superman, almost. Sure. You know, because at as he keeps going on, being at least in Legends, for a while he's the only Jedi, and then as he gets more students, obviously he's more powerful and more powerful of just, like I said, making him the one who always comes in to save the day, like in A New Hope or in Return of the Jedi. Or it's in difficult. The Matrix. Yeah. The Matrix, right? Neo becomes like this, it's like, well, what do you do now? He's completely all-powerful he's got control of the program you announced aaron that you're covering in season four of the podcast the jedi academy trilogy uh, which i know isn't one of your favorite series but i'm interested to see uh, as you look back on that how how luke's written and your thoughts on that so i'll be looking forward to that one towards the end of the season right um i think i think i had to move it to the middle i've got some things going on next year um just learned it sounds like I might be deploying for a little while so I had to switch the order up a little bit so what I can't really say more on that listeners yeah yeah more to come there what yeah uh k2 I didn't get to ask you what your favorite part of the series is well, we um, know what her favorite. What, what part was of the your part, was. favorite part of the NJO? <laughs> He's tall, Sexy dark, and handsome. Duran is. <laughs> it wasn't. It was. I mean, Jay's answer was so deep. Mine is so shallow. No. Um, <laughs> the Kip Duran fanfic that she found as a result, <laughs> or that she wrote as a result of. <laughs> Precisely, you can find that on wherever you find fan fiction. Um, the irony is, um, all four of them actually took. And my answer, uh, which was really kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to elaborate a little on Jay's answer because the it was the arc of everyone in the journey as, as they talked about. It was getting together and doing this together like Kat was talking about. But the the philosophy and the Vergier conversations were probably my single most favorite element. And I actually grabbed one of her quotes um earlier today i think i got this right but it goes right to what jay was saying and no we did not plan this listeners but she's talking to jason she's like very good very good jason solo questions are more true than answers this is the beginning of wisdom and i believe that stems from uh socrates that he had a similar philosophy if it was socrates or not but um so i i where I got like where I found like kind of the coolest where I, places I wanted to reread and make sure I understood were kind of those conversations um, and her little nuggets I I thought were really really super fun and on a different I didn't I didn't pull any nominal quotes but on a different level um, his uh, 
ability and you're I know you have a massive crush on him and I get it because the more I think about how interesting of a character he is in Star Wars he's very unique in Star Wars he might not be unique in other literature um there's people like him running around all kinds of books but in Star Wars like he really is pretty unique and I I really get um kind of what you he's growing on me as I'm distancing myself from the novels but his ability to to kind of constantly win and survive only for him to survive at the end because I'm convinced he's he's still running around alive but so anyway that would be my favorite um I think and the little things but the, if you had asked me first I would have probably said one of the other answers too oh, well that's good and you are definitely not the Phyllis Diller of the group you're more Carol Channing I believe so <laughs> I agree <Okay>. I 100% <laughs> agree as if he has Absolutely. any idea who Carol Chan is. Pat doesn't Aaron, understand who any of them is. She's way too young for that. any of these people. She no. doesn't even know Punky Brewster. I know Big Bird. I know, the uh, I know Grover. Do you um, know who Luke Skywalker is? I do know Luke Skywalker. Yeah, I know Aaron, the See, he's people. also from my generation. Aaron, I want to hear from so. you. Uh, reread number three. Yeah. Uh, it's been 15 years. What was your favorite part this time around? So my favorite part is still the Matthew Stover book, Traitor, overall. But one thing that this read through, I liked a lot more than I remembered in the past were, or I'm sorry, was the turmoil, the inner turmoil between Tahiri and Rihanna in the Three Force Heretic books. I really enjoyed that when Tahiri was trying to figure out how to live with what the Yuzhan Vong shapers had did to her. And the, the only thing that disappointed me about it is that I, I wanted it to mean something more in the unifying force. And I just don't think, yeah. I, I, was, I was hoping it meant something to the end game and it just didn't seem to. But, but those three books, the Force Heretic books, where we're seeing into her subconscious, she's blacking out, we don't know exactly what's going on inside of her head. Um, I like those a lot more this time than what I had previously. Interesting. Those books were great. Yeah. And that whole, you're right, that whole, because it was hard to know where it was going. She was having these dreams, and you're trying to figure it out, and then when you kind of finally caught on... It, was super fascinating and really kind of mature storytelling i felt like like it was complex which again not expecting i kept getting surprised i shouldn't have been by the 16th book <laughs> it happened <laughs> but a lot yeah i agree i definitely can't wait to read those specifically over again because initially uh, i was trying to figure out what was going on in those books and kind of jumping between timelines and everything but looking back i really do appreciate so much that struggle between Tahiri and Rihanna of just trying to figure out because it wasn't just her trying to figure it out it was also Jaina trying to figure out how do we and Han trying to figure out what do we do with Tahiri going forward like how do we act around her and Leia yeah how do we act around her all of them so it was really kind of a preview of what do we do with the Vong going forward how do we act around them what do we want to actually happen at the end of this because they had already decided we should not use um 
the poison. What was it? Red. Alpha red. Thank Alpha you. Red. Yes. Um, <laughs> and so they'd already kind of decided not to use it. So what do we do? Like, we can't kill all of them. So how do we reconcile with this massive war that we've just been through? Yeah, I agree. I felt it feels like they're. It was. It was a. It was a great journey. The psychology of the two personalities fighting and you know re- resolving to kind of share was very fascinating. But it felt like plot wise, there could have been there was more meat on that bone, right? Mm-hmm. To give her something more momentous. She she did a lot, right? Of like I speak their stuff. I know their stuff. This is what they're saying. This is what they're doing. But some sort of plot moment where that decision that she made to share the space really turned something major right yeah she pointed out Naminor and said hey there he is <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that yeah. was culminating too right yeah Th- that, that was one of those things that I wish had happened slightly earlier in the books because I feel like I, I, I and I don't know this but I remember back when this happened that the authors for at least the first half of the book did a big sit down kind of plotted things out and I feel like the second half of this series really lost that and I feel like if Tahiri's books happened maybe a book or two earlier they would have had that room at the end to put that character moment in where it really did mean something right and I, I feel the same with Zonama Seacott I feel like it came in at such a late point that had they put even started dropping hints of that earlier on it really could have made a much more significant impact into the characters and the story and the potential outcomes. But I feel like they just kind of were like, oh, we just need to shoehorn this in right at the end. And we ended up getting gypped of things like Tahiri's revelation. <laughs> I, I, I've always wanted to ask some of these authors did something change in the publishing schedule in the ones that came out in 2002 and 2003 because we know in Star Wars the Phantom Menace came out in 99 and then Attack of the Clones came out in 2002 what Revenge of the Sith was going to come out in 2005 they were on three year uh, schedules after The Phantom Menace came out, but right before Attack of the Clones comes out in 2002, I'm wondering if the p- people at Lucasfilm, I don't know, said something to the authors that, you know, we need you guys to wrap this up <laughs> at a certain time because... There are a series of books that come out between 2002 and 2005 that's called the uh, the Clone Wars Publishing Initiative. And I wonder if they wanted to have this series wrapped up before they started publishing those Clone Wars Publishing Initiative books. Mm, that explains Luceno and 19 books. Maybe. I, I don't know. I, 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 it, I could just be throwing something out there. It may have no bearing on it at all. It just... I agree with Jay's what what Jay is saying that it does seem that at least the last five, six, seven books, from what was built up before, it seems like 
those books end the series fairly quickly. Correct. Yeah. In a lot of pages. It's not like they, they were short. Yeah. Like, it still was 600 page, I don't know. Well, because they, I they mean, started the last book with a totally, like, it, a new conflict almost. It felt so strange how they started that book because I was like, okay, let's get that wrapping up action. And that did, didn't happen until the last 200 pages. It was so odd, their pacing. It was weird. That that last book, honestly, was, of the four I did, was my, I think, my least favorite. I think it had some awesome moments, but it was very disjointed. It felt the pacing was um, off in that book. Like, it's a story, yeah. I still think, like, they were I still think you could add... So the book was what, like around 525 pages or something like that. Yeah. I still think you could add about 150 pages, slice it in half, and then you got yep. books 19 and 20 where they're at about the same page length that most of the books in this series are of about 325, 340 pages. Or they could have just edited the front half of that book. Yeah, yeah, I'm trying honestly. to. I'm trying to ask the question, like, why they need the whole hostage story at all? Exactly. I thought yeah. that was. I'm not sure. I'm trying to think. Well, what did that do? Right. Is it? <laughs> I mean, we got we got Paige. It's been and we three got, weeks since I read it, but um, I've forgotten already. We got Paige and the other guy who were there and then rescued and then unrescued and then re-rescued, but mm-hmm. again, they were only just important in that book. Otherwise, we hadn't heard about them. So, nothing. <laughs> and meanwhile, there's a lot of things that were really big in the in the first books of the series that were completely kind of forgotten about later. After Alston's series, they made a really big deal of talking about the new Rebel Alliance, right? And what kind of ended up happening with that after Alston's books? Like, nothing. They didn't really talk about it ever again. And it was this big, huge deal. We're going to be the Rebel Alliance Reborn. I think they mentioned it a little bit in the very last book, and they were like, yeah, see, we did stuff. Yeah, they, look at us. Nothing. I guess the only thing I could think of about that is they formed that Rebel Alliance when the New Republic technically was still around, and then eventually they reformed the government into the Galactic Federation, Federation of, of what, yeah. what, what, whatever blah, it is. Blah, 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 so mm-hmm. maybe they figured with the whole brand-new government – they didn't need the insiders anymore. Are you referring to the the group wedge built with like yeah. the insiders? Yes, and the, at Borlaeus. Borlaeus. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we could nitpick things all over the place in these Let's stories. Let's do that. And Let's spend the that's rest fine. of the time. Yeah, absolutely. Do, so that's absolutely. That's that's 100% fine. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I don't have a problem doing that personally, but I, I do. Let, let's just narrow it down to one. If there is just mm. one part of this series that you could change or that you would ask one of the authors why did you do this what would that be I, I, I let me start since I'm kind of throwing this out to you guys I've said my biggest issue with the series is Zanama Seacott I would just like a little bit more of an explanation as to why the planet, I guess, first off, how did it become conscious? And secondly, in that last book, how did it really turn the tide of the war with the Yuzhan Vong? I'm still not 100% sure what its importance was other than 
to sort of show the Yuzhan Vong, this is your history that you've forgotten. But other than that, I that that's my one, I guess, big gripe with this. It more like scared them into self-destructing, if anything. They kind of freaked out and they kind of warred with each other and I mean, maybe just its mere presence showing up, which the part you love, Darren, where it just showed up right above Coruscant and everyone just lost their minds. <laughs> I mean, that could have ended um, book 19, you know? Yeah, boom, that's your, point. Book that's 19. your part, and right? Whole, all book 20 would be battle and denouement, you know? Yeah. So it, it maybe it played that role of just intimidation. <laughs> I don't uh, know. The last book was a little... Mm, the, if I if I could change, I'll I'll go next. If if, if can I go out of order? Absolutely. I'll go no. next. Yes, cat. Yeah. Go back to your Batman blanket. <laughs> um, my hair, my beef. Carol Channing for the block. Carol Channing for the block. Thank you. Um, I. My, I, 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 I also went back and you guys are going to think I'm crazy, but I went back and I listened to our podcasts again. Um, I mostly skipped our summaries and I just listened to the conversation. So they were only like 20, nice. 25 minutes long or whatever. But I, I kind of wanted to remember one of the things that I remember talking about in, in my um, in the Star by Star, you had asked me about Leia. And would she, what will happen to her after Han's six or seven book journey of grieving Chewie, what were they going to do with Leia? And I said, I would find it poor storytelling if she recovers and she recovered. So part of me, I get what they were doing. The Han and Leia arc was that they're stronger together, right? Very simply put. And I thought the story was beautiful. I thought I liked everything about it except the believability. I really don't. I think they got they they thought about Anakin a lot. They'd remember him, but I did not find it believable that the parents that lost that child were kind of able to recover the way they did. Um, now, I'm also not going to suggest that it would have made the books better. Because I think they need to get, I think just grieving Anakin for the whole rest of the series is really boring and depressing. But that was one thing every time they kind of would do, and they did a lot on Han and Leia, particularly towards the end there. And in that last book, maybe that whole hostage thing was a bit about their closure. Um, But that was one beef I kind of had was just like, I can't, I can't really come to terms with how they kind of dealt with it so well. Mm. Matt, I know you got to leave us here soon. Um, do you have anything that you think could be improved upon in these books? Uh, mine also deals with parents and kids. Uh, the, the Ben Skywalker, I, you know, Mara, Mara has the baby and that's a huge deal through the first few books of her pregnancy and what she was dealing with there. And then they just conveniently hide him away. And there's no stakes anymore with him because he's safely hidden. Sometimes they bring it up, like if if we fail here, the Yuzhan Vong will eventually find Ben and kill him. Da, 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 da. But there's no stakes to it. I would have loved to have seen the baby be more involved and and bring up some further conflict there. Uh, but he was just conveniently tucked away so that Luke and Mara could rescue the universe. And I, I would have liked to have seen the baby come in more into play there and Luke and Mara's role as parents. What do you think a baby would do 
I think it adds greater stakes <laughs> to what Luke and Mara were uh, tr- attempting to accomplish. All right. So, so not like put a lightsaber in his read, little hands. Gotcha. And let. Uh, I was gonna, but the first thing that popped into my head that's was what I'm talking about. I mean, you remember most of the legend stories prior to this when the Solo children are little. How many times did they get kidnapped? In oh, Legends. Every book. It had to be five times. They had yeah. to be kidnapped five every times. <laughs> and is it Crystal Star where little baby Anakin like saves the universe or something? I can't remember which one it is, but there's one yeah. where like two-year-old Anakin. Uh, that's the Corellian trilogy, is I it? believe it is. Okay. That yeah. sounds accurate, okay? He has never done yeah. anything yeah. wrong in his life. That's accurate. <laughs> it is, but... Ben could have been the link between Luke and Zanama Seacott. I'm just saying. So I shouldn't say the baby wouldn't have made the difference, but having that that further wrinkle in what Luke and Mara were trying to do could have added some further conflict and dissonance and weight to what they were attempting gotcha. to accomplish and the choices they would have made. Jay, from what you were saying, can you imagine if Luke and Mara had brought the baby to Zanama Seacott and then all of a sudden Seacott starts speaking through the child? All of a sudden Ben yes. sits oh, up and he just starts Oh my God! Like that, that all I can see is little Ben, <clears throat> Ben Skywalker sitting on Zanama Seacott, floating objects and stuff like that, not knowing any better, and Zanama Seacott sitting there going, "This is the best thing ever." <laughs> and, and he bonds with like ten of those little seed pods, and he makes a makes his own little, uh, his own little own flying army. ship. He gets his own little flying crib, like Grogu. <laughs> like Grogu, yeah. yeah, he's just floating around the planet. That's all he needs. That's that's all he needed. He needed a little floating carrier, and it would have been fine. See, see, when I'm right, I'm right. It's yep. it's the age old sitcom problem, right? You want to have the storylines around pregnancy and birth and all of those stories, but, but you, you don't want, want to deal with babies on set, and you don't want to deal with storylines around babysitting mm-hmm. constantly. When the reality is, when you have a kid, that's your life. You're parenting all the yeah. time, but they don't want that. If it's a sitcom, she's inevitably going to go into labor in an elevator that's stuck somewhere. Every sitcom. 100%. Yes. Ten- potentially. Yeah. Or a car. It's either an elevator or a car. Or a car. Yeah. yeah. Car in the middle of traffic. With a fake breathing. Yeah. That does not happen. Yeah. That does not happen, by the way. Well, Jay, how about you? What do you think uh, could have been improved? I, I actually... Uh, like you, Zenoma Seacott has always been a sticking point for me. I wish that they had brought even just hints of that in earlier. I wish that we saw a greater connection with the Yuzet Fong and Zenoma Seacott, whether it was from their from the their point of view, or you know when you know. Luke and Mara go to the Chish Empire. They actually find a book that gives some information about that location. Um, and I w- like, you know, they they made a big point of they were under the Imperial Palace, the former Jedi Temple, and there was that Force Wellspring. Even if Luke got a vision there about Zanama Seacott, like, I just felt like it was really shoehorned in. And... I wanted more connection between that particular plot point and how, you know, why did they get rid of the Vong? Did the Vong turn on Seacott? Like, you know, what were the Vong trying to, with all their modifications, trying to capture something that, you know, we we find out that um, the Faroans and Seacott live in a symbiotic relationship. 
were the Vong trying to recapture that by amputation and putting new limbs on? You know, like, I felt like that needed to be spoken about a bit more. An entire book from the Yuuzhan Vong perspective would have been interesting. And there's your 21st Would have been book. super cool. There's that Jedi Temple on Coruscant was another lost opportunity, too. It was kind of a thing they just kind of glazed over. Uh, so. The the Lord Nyak's storyline is the most random thing so weird. in, it in makes me the so New Jedi Order. Just so completely weird. random. So weird. Cool character, but just random but really in the wrong place. <laughs> And just a waste of time. Like, we did not need any of that. To, like, I don't think it furthered anybody's character, really. I'm sorry. But because, like I said, I thought it was Jason or something. It was not. I was upset. It's almost like they were trying to bring in a lot of the, just like, call out a lot of the old Legends storylines and everything. And they needed to get that in somewhere. That stuff from the really weird Expanded Universe books. And so they... They got it in. <laughs> I, I mean, the amount of times they actually ended up on Coruscant with when it wasn't in their control was kind of like, okay, like this, if you're th this able to get onto the planet, I'm sure you could do something a little bit more productive. <laughs> Kat, I'm assuming you wanted to see more tonsil hockey in the stories. 110% always a fan of tonsil hockey. <laughs> I'm aging myself with that reference. I was reference, about yes, to say but... that age, buddy. Uh, <laughs> but it Is was that something they was... do on Hollywood Squares. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the X-rated version, right. maybe. <laughs> Sorry, Kit um, Kat. No, no. Uh, it's definitely that, but it's 100% always could use more romance. I think they did a pretty good job with the characters that they had. Um, the Jason and Danny quote-unquote romance, I'm not even going to stretch as far as to call it that. That was a little bit shoehorned for me. Um, I think they actually did a good job with Jason and Dag, and while I don't like that they ended the series not together, it makes sense for both of their characters, so it was fine. Um, and we got a little bit of the puppy love with Tahiri and Anakin, but um, really I think the story was lacking like a head of the overall plot. Uh, like you had said, Jay, it felt like they had somebody, like they had done a round table. They had had a conversation about those first probably six or seven books. And then somewhere in the middle, they were like, okay, we're just going to write our own books and we'll show up at the end and we'll have a party and that'll be fine. <laughs> so we didn't get like Tahiri. We had all of that buildup. And then she pointed out Naminor and that was done. We had all that buildup with Jaina. So much buildup with Jaina. And then she was paralyzed at the end. I don't understand how you could be the sword of the Jedi and she didn't get to do like hardly any battling at all. Not to mention, even before she had been paralyzed, she was kind of being knocked around the room. Like the like Luke and Jason were actually able to fight, but she wasn't even able to fight. She was just trying to stay on her feet half the time. So it just felt like they did not have somebody at the head of that plot line saying, these are the points we need to make sure that we are hitting throughout that story and so that we can keep that cohesive momentum going. They just let each author make a decision on, you know, I want to put Leia and Han in a hostage situation at the final stage because I can. Or I'm just strange things here and there that they could have streamlined I think 
and given us more of those character moments and given us more tonsil hockey. Dang it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. um, I really appreciate you guys doing this for me. And before we let Matt go, uh, I got each of you a gift. I want each of you to show everyone the gift. Well, Matt, we'll start with you. What was your gift? My gift was, uh, well, actually it was a scholarship for all of my kids. So mm, yeah, because I am that get, wealthy. Did he get that for all of you too? No, no, it was just me. Oh, okay. I guess he likes me the most. Exactly. Hey, this <laughs> podcast does get me twenty to twenty-five dollars a month. I mean, bro, I will be able to to get your kids into college someday. <laughs> Maybe in th- year thirty-five, sixty-eight. Okay, I'll, I'll hold you to that. Uh, I got the book uh, "Honor Among Thieves," which I've started reading. You can see I'm not too far into it yet, and I'm loving it so far. So tell me about this one, Aaron. So the reason I picked that for you is you said that you were slowly bringing back or slowly recollecting your Legends books. Mm -hmm. That is officially the final book published in the Legends storyline. Wow, I didn't know I think there that. were a couple Thank other you. children's books that came after that. Sure. And there was one other book published that was supposed to be Legends, but it it's now considered canon. It's that Luke Skywalker book, the Heir Shadow. to the Jedi. Oh, okay. But it was supposed to be <laughs> a part of that three book series. The one that had Leia, Razor's Edge, Han uh, with... Honor Among Thieves there, and then Heir to the Jedi with Luke. Luke. So that is officially the last novel published in Legends. But is it the last in the timeline, or is it? No, 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 no. It takes place between A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back. It's got some great Han and Leia interplay back when they were just like super flirty with each other. Fun. So fun. We're gonna have to so read fun. all these books it's and a, then mail them to hey, each other. It, and, then... and the cool part is, it's a heist. It is. Yeah, it's a heist, heist book. book. Oh, fun. Yeah. So yeah. Fun. For people who like heists. Yeah, it's great. Friends, I've got a drop. Yep. This was a blast. I will listen later, so be careful what you say. Because right. I will. Find Thanks, you. Matt. <laughs> Love you guys. Love you guys. Bye, See Matt. ya. Bye. I like Jay. Show everybody what you got. All right, it, it's still in the package, by the way. I had to run upstairs to get it because, you know, I have to record in the basement. So here we go. All right, gonna open it on camera. It was like Christmas. It is like Christmas. I purposely did not open it, knowing that this was happening, that I totally forgot about it. <laughs> I opened mine by mistake because I've been ordering so much stuff and I opened it randomly and I, I was like, oh. The Mandalorian armor, the Bounty Hunter Wars. You know what, Aaron? I think I can actually say with confidence that this is the one series that I did not have or read when I had all the Legends books. Wow. Yeah, it just, in our interactions, you seem like a big Mandalorian guy. I'm a huge Mandalorian guy. (laughs) A bigger Mandalorian guy than I am. But I thought that uh, it's it's a three book series. That's book one. So if you enjoy that, you can get books two and three. Um, I believe. Let me let me see if I remember this correctly. I think that takes place. 
It takes place during the original trilogy. I think it takes place. Yeah, stand by. I've got it here on my. I should have had this ready. I got it here on my computer. It, I believe it takes place right around the time. Or actually, it might take place just after Return of the Jedi. Hmm. No, it takes place between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. So That's you're in the original trilogy uh, era again. It, it takes place just before Truce of, uh, at Bakura, according to the uh, timeline. Yeah, Truce of Bakura takes place immediately after Return of the Jedi. Like, hours after Return of the Jedi. Yeah. So, yep. Cool. There it is. That's awesome. So cool. Kat, what'd you get? I got a clone book. You did. <laughs> I love that. Does that say hard contact? It does. He knows me so Oh, wait a minute. I feel like he's got that for you for a different reason. Yeah. Tell us a little more, Erin. It satisfies on many levels. Kat is, she's like me. She loves the clones. Um, That actually starts a five-book series. Oh, I love a long series, too. Uh, And it's such a pretty cover. The first three books are called Republic Commando. The fourth book is Order 66. And then the fifth book is Imperial Commandos. So So there's going to be a lot of tears. Good to know. Thanks. (laughs) And there is some clone love in those books. Wait a minute. With each other? No, 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 no. Uh, One of the clones ends up getting having a girlfriend and having a child. Nice. Wait, is that is that? Uh no no it's these are the legends that, it's none of the none of the clones not, from okay. the Clone Wars <laughs> no one no one from uh, Clone Wars or Rebels okay right because there was that one guy that escaped and had a kid and yeah 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 that was uh Cut Laquane uh, yeah mm-hmm. now I they do um reference a clone who has now come back into canon in the Bad Batch. They do talk about Scorch from the Republic Commando video games. Interesting. I'm excited to learn about all these clones. He he was actually in one of the Clone Wars episodes, too, in, in the original run. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they don't ever say, they don't say his name in that. No, but they, they have retconned it to, well, to, because he wears that, that exact armor, so he did make that appearance. <laughs> K2, what you got? Ooh, I got Dark Disciple. Yep. So you got the one canon book that I sent. But uh, so the thing about that book is uh, when the Clone Wars ended initially, Uh they had scripts for two or three more seasons. Uh, When Disney decided to let them finish season seven, you know, they had to pick and choose just three storylines to do to sort of end everything. So that book is based off of a four episode arc that, you know, was supposed to be, I believe in season seven originally. Um, It focuses on Asajj Ventress. And my other fave, Quinlan Vos. Yep. Asajj and Quinlan. And they have a romance in that book. Cat? Yes, they do. Uh-huh. I'll trade after this. We'll swap. I've read that one. It's fun. It is. It's this a fun one? book. It's got a um, good cover. Oh, good. 
So the person, it's so cool. the person who wrote the scripts was Katie Lucas, George Lucas's daughter. Um, oh. Yeah, she wrote a lot of the Asajj Ventress stuff. Katie Lucas did, and I think uh, if you look in the forward of that book, doesn't she do yeah. the forward? Doesn't Katie Lucas do a forward? In that Let book? me see. I did not. I didn't open it. Hold on. Uh, she does. Yeah. So, cool. Asajj Very was, cool. She, she really loves Asajj Ventress. She really does. Well, her and I have that in common. So, Thank you, Aaron. Very welcome. Scott? Yeah, I, uh, <clears throat> I haven't looked yet either. I opened the top of the package to see if it was a Christmas gift. Saw it was a book. And, so I know it's a book, but I didn't look at it yet. Ooh, betrayal. betrayal. The beginning of an epic Star Wars series featuring the new heroes of the Jedi Order. So that's book one of the Legacy of the Force series. That's a great series. And it is the Jason Solo series. Uh, oh, oh his face. And it's Austin. Austin's back for this. Yeah, I think there's three authors in that series. It's nine books. Uh, Justin knows where it goes. You may know where it goes since you said you got something spoiled for you. I did. Um, but uh, I was going to read that this year, uh, that series. But if I happened to get deployed, there was no way I could do a nine-book series. Uh, so I just had to – I've moved like that you, to 2025. Sounds like you might just need to invite us back for that. We've done 19. Nine right. would be easy peasy. Well, I was going to – what I was going to do is, you know, if Jay wants to – he and I can do that three book series. If you want to, you and I can do the Republic Commando series. You, you know, stuff like that. Um, Scott, in a year, if you like <laughs> the Legacy of the Force series, sorry, I, I can't do it this year. I just can't. Inviting him to do nine books, he was like, come no, on. No, not that. What What I was thinking is because it's nine books. I was thinking that maybe dropping in like every third book. Oh uh, yeah. You know, like book three, book six, and then book nine at the end. Um, but it, it's the Jason Solo slash Jaina Solo slash Tahiri Vela series. Okay. Nice. Yeah, yeah we are going right. to have to pass these around, y'all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're starting a Man. book club right now. This is what this sure. has been all leading up to. Justin, have you read the uh, Legacy of the Force? I have read the Legacy of the Force. I really, really enjoyed that series. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 would, I would happily... Uh, cover that i would happily read it i would you know yeah i'd happily do the mandalorian armor one too I... sure um there so there's three big series in legends new jedi order was 19 books that legacy of the Force series is nine books and then there's one other nine book series that comes after that called fate of the jedi um, i think i think i lost out in fate of the jedi i think i read about three maybe four of those books and then i i was out i'm wondering i'm wondering if the way the ahsoka show ended season one if they aren't maybe doing something that happened in the fate of the jedi books um i i could see it i don't know if i want that because i'm not the biggest fan of the villain of those books but it almost seemed like maybe Maybe they were going to do that. I do know what you're referencing because I did have to look that up. <laughs> Time for a break. 
When we return, we'll answer two emails from listeners who wanted to weigh in on our coverage wrapping up the New Jedi Order and give our final thoughts on the series and the experience of reading these books all together. I'm Aaron Motes. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you for listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, where we celebrate the books from Star Wars Legends. But let me take a moment and recommend a book from Star Wars canon. Padawan is the story of young Obi-Wan Kenobi's first solo mission. Determined to win the approval of his master, Qui-Gon Jinn, Obi-Wan tries to help a group of young people on a strange, dangerous planet. Can Obi-Wan save the teens before the planet destroys them? Find out in Padawan. By Kirsten White. Welcome back to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes. My co-host and I continue our roundtable discussion, wrapping up our coverage of the New Jedi Order. One of the things I did want to hit that K2 put on this list what was the funniest thing for you guys? I can tell you right now what, what the funniest thing was for me. And that was in our previous roundtable when Scott kept saying he thought Vergeer looked like a bunny. And just everyone was like, what are you talking about, Scott? There, there's no description of Vergeer as a bunny anywhere. Yeah. No. I could never, I just could never put it together. And all it took was someone sharing, I think it was Jay, sharing an image with me to, to put it firmly in my head. I still don't. I still can. It's hard for me to imagine the leg thing, uh, the 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 introverted leg or the inverted leg thing. But 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 they kept using the adjective avian the entire time. Yeah, I mean, I every time I they talked about her. I know. And uh, I just kept. I just fine. kept ima- imagining this tiny little creature flopping around. I don't know. I don't know what to say. Uh, it was yeah. I loved K two A falling in love with Kip. That's always fun. I'm here for the love. Clearly, that's the theme. Uh, but also, how upset she was with Vicky Shesh and just how much and like her death was not good enough at all. That was a terrible death. And so I just every time I saw Vicky Shesh, I saw in my mind K two like staunchly against her. Like why is she not fist in the in air, a thousand pieces. Well, nothing Didn't would have been good jump? enough. Didn't she just jump off of a ledge or something? Yeah. Yes. It was... no, nothing would have been good enough to kill yeah. her for K2 unless it was Mara doing it. Very Mara true. had to do it somehow. Yeah, 100%. Mara or or Ben, like be six-month-old Ben yeah. with his lightsaber. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Force choking her, exactly. <laughs> How dare you, woman. <laughs> Politicians. Jay, what was the funniest uh, funniest part of this adventure for you? Uh, probably listening to Scott say that Anakin is not dead. <laughs> and that even though we had the body and they had a funeral, 
I am still not convinced that he is dead. <laughs> it's it, it's one of my biggest complaints of the series. It, it feels it feels like they set him up uh, to burn him down, and I just didn't feel like it was well done. Again, I but, think so... you're burned by George R. R. Martin. That you're just like this character needs needs a better death or needs a better purpose. So that is one thing I know. Um, Anakin's death was dictated by Lucas himself. Yeah. Because these books came out during the prequels. Lucas didn't want to have two Anakins out there, one in the regular storyline of the prequel movies and another in this. So originally it was supposed to be Jason dying and Anakin was supposed to be the hero of the series on the original outlines. And Lucas told them, and for the most part, Lucas was pretty hands-off of Legends. He just yeah. let the authors, for the most part, do what they wanted. This was one of the few times he stepped in and told them, no, Anakin needs to be the one to die because I don't want fans confusing Anakin Solo of this timeline with Anakin Skywalker. So send all the, forward me all the hate mail that you get from the, what I'm about to say because that is the worst reason to make a choice in telling a story I've ever heard in my life. 100%. But it fits, and I love the movies, and I love the universe, so it's hard to say this, but it fits right in with Lucas. Toys, merch, selling stuff, yep, can't have two confusing Anakins out there, get rid of them. Well, he's really important, don't care, marketing. It sounds just like Lucas, right? I understand from the author's point of view, he's the guy signing the paychecks, you yeah. know? Right, so. yeah. right. Well, he, yeah, what are you going to do? No, yeah, I'm no, not saying no, you should disobey him. him. I'm just saying it sounds like Lucas, and I think it's a crappy reason to get rid of a character. It's a terrible reason that you can't trust your fans to understand the two different Anakins. Like, there's not that a said, million we come from other universe. But there's like a million yeah, other characters got the same name. to be like, okay, Padme, that's that Anakin. Okay, Jason and Jaina, that's that. Like, there's a whole story and storyline. Whatever. You could go on and on. Well, because it, it, it was, yeah, I don't know. It'd be easy to I, distinguish. It, I think it's Scott's point's interesting, though, just how it, it, it you don't want everything fed to you. You don't want to guess everything that's going on. But there needs to be some narrative sense sometimes. And, and I, I, I don't know that I had a lot of trouble with it narratively, honestly, because sometimes, you know, in life, doesn't matter where your story's going. If it's your time, it's your time, right? But um, it did, when you go back and you kind of look at what they were doing, it did feel a little disjointed. Yeah. But the good part about it, it was super shocking, right? It really did. Um, kind of like Dave and Dave, like wanting to do like the shock factor yeah. and just like taking somebody, like Chewie's death almost felt like shock factor until you realize where they took the story had a big it had a it played a big role but they almost talked about Chewie's death more than Anakin's but it's like he dealt he dealt with that trauma all like all the way up to his death and then it was like oh well we don't get to learn from the from that growth he just dies but but I think that's when this series first came out both of those deaths were shocking for the simple fact that these are the main characters right they usually are protected by plot armor because they are the main characters. And suddenly you have two of the main main proponents of these stories gone. It really gave you the feeling when these were first coming out that in the Star Wars universe, nothing was safe, right? Because you've, you had seen in the movies, 
in half a dozen other books where stuff should have killed someone and they miraculously make their way through. And here was two instances where, you know, Chewie been around since the first movie, gone, first book. And you were, and this is after, you know, you had seen him basically being an uncle to the solo kids. He's put his life on the line numerous times and gotten Han out of situations. He's extended it to Leia. He's extended it to Luke, right? And this was really that first time where those gloves were off. You didn't know who was safe and who wasn't. Yeah. I think I think them um, establishing that message with Chewie makes tons of sense. I yeah. agree with I agree with at least that half. Looking back now and being older, maybe it doesn't make as much sense. But at the time, like this was this was new territory for Star Wars. Right? Like this and it really you, you didn't know. Like this is the new new Jedi Order. We're talking about all these new brand new Jedi. And we talked about it in one of the other books where they listed like, oh, these 20 Jedi, here's his name. He's dead. This Anakin was really one of the only ones that we got a lot of background to and we felt connected to. So now pulling that out in the same family that's supposed to have the plot armor is like, wow, okay, maybe Luke isn't safe. Maybe, you know, like this is going to and the universe like because when these were coming out you didn't know that there was going to be another series afterwards or another series after that it almost felt like they 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 wanted to go out with a bang and everything was off the table yeah I, there there are good points to it i i agree i mean it also happens at a very interesting time of the books right it's kind of like right in the middle and it kind of shifts almost all the main characters perspectives on their on their ear right to have, to make them yep. deal with you know this changing universe in a different with a, a, a very personal level as well as you know this military level that they've been doing already you know they've been dealing with Chewie as well but you know this is kind of a whole new level so it makes it it it, it does raise the stakes for those characters it raises the stakes for the readers as well it just felt to me that narratively what they were building towards it didn't it didn't make much sense the way they did it but I, I agree with you that it, it does add quite a bit, right? It adds it adds a lot of flavor. It adds a lot of stakes. Um, but then, like, and it gives a lot of the other do... characters things to do about, uh, to do with. Mm-hmm. They almost, they didn't focus on his death enough, almost. Like, Jason and Jaina had mm-hmm. a bit to um, kind of conquer, but Luke, or, um, Leia and Han didn't talk about it together very much. They had a conversation and then more so they had memories within their own narratives but hardly talked about it together at all like you said they mostly dealt with it separately yeah and then right and i think like tahiri and jaina's were the were the best purest realist responses to anakin's death you know it really shook tahiri and it really shook jaina she was all over the place especially in her book right and it was great because there that's what happens right you are disjointed you lose control you you become unrecognizable they dealt with it in this series with han's reaction to chewie and yet i felt like it was doesn't have the same reaction at all no and i i like i said i appreciate that i think they were attempting to make the han and leia arc as a couple um they used it for that purpose but it it wasn't it just wasn't a believable um, exercise for me that 
that I mean, unless you just argue that they're still in shock two years well, later, which is certainly possible. What I remember is that Han, while Chewie erect him, uh, he saw that Leia needed him to be strong, right? And yeah. so he was there for Leia to try to keep yes. her head above water. And people do that sometimes. They they somehow yes. bury their own grief to help someone who's grieving even worse. And uh, I feel like that's kind of what Han did. I think he saw her kind of try to do that for him, even though he ran from it. Uh, and I think he's kind of trying to do... I, I didn't think they handled it that badly. You know, I don't think you ever really recover from something like that. Um, but you also can't write, you know, nine books of them just grieving because no one would read no. them. Uh, it'd no. be very depressing. But but I get what... You, so I get what you're saying. It wasn't handled perfectly. It's pretty hard to handle in a novel like this. But I think I, I understood what they were trying to do. That, that by... By figuring out through Chewie's death that they can't do this apart very well, that we're supposed to just kind of believe that if they're really there for each other, they can do it together. And I, you're right. I don't think they executed it super well, but I think that's what we're supposed to do and supposed to think. That is that is their clear intention. Yeah. I didn't believe it. So that's all I'm saying. But they did. They gave us, what, four books of nothing but Han being, like, crazy grieving? At least. Yeah. For Chewie, yeah. They could do that, but they couldn't do Leia having a couple chapters. I mean, <laughs> well, I, I mean to be fair, just in the Star Wars universe, Leia didn't even grieve when Alderaan was blown up. Oh, so she's soulless. That's true. Yeah, she's <laughs> soulless. You're right. She, Thank, good point. Just, just, just putting that out there. But, but then she turned around and like comforted Luke, who lost, you know, Ben after knowing him for a couple of days, right? Like <laughs> his karate he teacher. Met, he had known for a couple of days. His three day karate okay. teacher. Fair enough, yeah. Jay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I get what you mean. I, I think Leia has a history of burying her, her grief for duty as well. She gets thrust into sure. a lot of stuff, but in this case though, it was a little different. Like they, they, they thrust each other, bad use of words. They thrust, each other together right and and focused on that instead of instead of work and and, and you know running running the entire galaxy but i don't know i, yeah. be, I believed it some i don't think it was perfect yeah scott you said uh earlier on one of your favorite things about this series were the space battles do you yeah. have a particular favorite battle or favorite scene or favorite sequence yeah, in Bor- these stories borlaeus the, the the space spear yeah i thought it was awesome that whole battle really worked for me. I, I liked what they did with the gravity wells and uh, you know the that the Lusankia, Lusankia, uh, yeah, Lusankia, Lusankia, uh, however you pronounce it. Kind of being that's big. That that super star destroyer is big in the X wing novels. Okay, uh, but it's kind of sacrificing it and the general inside that they make to look like an incompetent guy who later learn gets promoted for his for his work there. Um, you know. I, I, Do that, you remember he comes back? He comes back in the very last book, and he's a yeah. he's a general. Yeah, yeah. We learned he gets promoted for for what he did there, which is cool. Uh, so and that and and all the stuff Wedge was doing to to lead up to that, right, and, and prepare for it. I really enjoyed all of that. So that That's was nice. the second of those two books. I can't remember what order it is. One's Rebel Dream and one's Rebel Stand. I think Rebel Stand is the second. Rebel one, Stand. Right? Yeah, I believe. Yeah. My favorite thing in any of the battles is from the first one of that, the Rebel Dream one. And 
my favorite of the space battle things. And it's, it's when Wedge and Tycho are talking and Wedge's wife, Ayala, when Wedge says that we had already hit them with the rebellion and Ayala asks, well, what are you hitting them with next? Are you going to do this? Are you going to do that? And Wedge goes, no, we're going to give them the empire. Mm-hmm. That That's still one of the lines in these stories that gives me goosebumps. And um, what did they hit them with? Yeah, that's what, fantastic. What did they hit them with? Well, uh, the empire, an orbital, an orbital bombardment. They take their superstar oh, yes. destroyer, yeah. Lusankia, their other star destroyers, and they just start blasting the planet. Yeah. Anyone else have a favorite uh, space battle, space scene? The the Lusankia going up it and looking like a lightsaber. Oh, what oh, yeah. Scott's favorite part too? Yeah, Lusankia turning into the spear and then no, just 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 that giant lightsaber in the sky. That visual, I need that picture. <laughs> I liked when the remnant would be involved, like the Empire. I thought mm. to me that was. Um, one of the best surprises of the book with was Pelion. Them, Pe- Pelion was one of my favorite yeah, characters cool. that I it, it shocked me right, and I loved I loved that whole story. I loved um, kind of when they would show up. It was maybe it was just because you know I knew it so well. Like it was like you know I don't know. I really liked some of those. Um, I can't remember like the names of which was which and where they were, and but there was one I don't remember. Which book? But it was when Luke tripped over them and they were going to find Sonoma Seacod and they were getting the kick, the crap kicked out of them. Oh, and they kind of saved them. Yeah, I don't remember when that was, but like, and then when Jason kind of stepped up and got them to, you know, to like um, participate, oh, yeah. and 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 Han and Leia had gone to see them. I don't know. I, I really liked those those scenes quite a bit. Um, they broke up the Yuzhan Vong. Because I think I really liked the Vong by the end of it, but they were kind of one note um, often. And so it got a little, sometimes their stuff could get boring for me. Well, they definitely were in the first half of the saga. Definitely up through star by star. I think after that, you start to see them describe different factions within the Vong. Mm -hmm. And that's when they get a little more. Interesting, I think, for right. most people. I, I'm not going to sit here and say that the Vong are some of the best antagonists ever written because they're they're not. I just think there are some aspects to their story uh, that are interesting, and Naminor being my personal favorite. Uh, love everything about him except for the last two pages that he's <laughs> in the last book. It's just it's not the same character. Those last two pages. By the end, I really liked Harar and I really liked Min Yim. I was very, I was surprised at myself for being so upset at Min Yim's death. Like, she found herself and then Naminor beat her with a rock. What? I was very upset. And again, like you said, in the first half, I could not care less about the Vong getting their thoughts bored me to tears. But by the end, I loved Ninyim, and I was very upset about her death, and Harar was a really fun character to kind of see his mm-hmm. twist, and so you kind of get that hope of, hopefully that's kind of how the Vong will be able to go forward, uh, just getting the glimpse of his turnaround. Okay, another category. Best or worst, let's just say most memorable death 
in the series, whether it's best or worst? What was the most memorable death for you? Scott, I think you said it was Shadow Shy. Was that was I, that right? I really did like the the duel with Cornhorn and Shadow Shy. I like that one a lot. I really like I just mentioned the the uh the spear through space, the the gleaming lightsaber uh stabbing through the That the took out Sulkang Law, Savon Law's yeah. dad. Yeah, correct. I really liked Miko Reglia's death. You asked for one, I'm giving you several, I guess. And and to be honest, Chewie's death was as terrible as it was. It was it was fantastically written. You can see the image almost with this planet colliding into him. I almost imagine the planet hitting Chewie first. You know, like, oh, you can Google like, it. There's, there's images out there. Yeah. Oh, I believe you can that. Google image or, or you know look for Chewbacca's death in Google, and there's it's what you're looking at. He's standing there on the planet. His fists are raised, and it's this fireball coming down at it. Right. Uh, it's a fantastic death, and. Heart, heartbreaking, but a, a really good death. So I guess I'll go with Chewie. But there's there's several good ones. Uh, Chewie's will forever be burned into my brain because the first time I read that, I was in stunned silence, and I probably reread that death several times because th- I did not believe that happened. Um, this was Star Wars. Chewie doesn't die. I've seen him in worse situations. Chewie doesn't die. I remember reading two more chapters and going back and going, no, Chewie doesn't die. Certainly he's clinging to a rock somewhere. Right. So, you know, that that's always going to be in my, in my head. Um, after this reread though, the description of Ethor um, literally being melted by the seed pods and it's a dead world like that was just for me just such a visual thing that I don't remember reading it the first time and it through this series it has just stuck with me Cat. Um, I was pretty upset about Vajir's death as well, because I, I was on her side from day one. I was like, cool, bad, evil, triple agent, double agent, whatever. I was on her side from day one, because I just thought she was so interesting, because she was such a mystery. And her death was very odd to me. It was out of the blue it seemed unnecessary it it left a lot more questions I, I mean i guess it was like her character it left a lot of questions but i did not think she needed to go out that way at all and i want justice for Virgier. so that's my I know, statement i know it's now just kind of like my thing but are we sure she's dead <laughs> right no Cause... she actually has di- like died several times and yeah she's super old yeah i would agree with you cat i think that Vergier's death was too soon, maybe. Yeah. It, like I get that I get that they they wanted to end her in the series, although I don't know that they necessarily should have. I mean, she was really, really interesting. Well, so much so that Jason Luceno brought her back, and like the last two authors brought her back just in the form of Zenoma Seacott. So clearly, mm-hmm. we still needed her character around, whether it be right. her or not. And what does she know? I think that's the other thing. It's like she, because that was Destiny's way, and um, she 
that was where we got all of this great dialogue with her and Luke, right? And, you know, her Jedi-ness, her Jedi presence or whatever was really where we got so much of that in there. And she could have done so much more and been this confusing character throughout the rest of the series and, and causing trouble and, you know, getting people to trust her and then betraying them. And she's she was a master manipulator and wise and dark and like gray and i don't know like she's she's um he kind of was wasted to lose her like that but then she she sacrificed herself for jason and that part is still you know because that's like i mean we talked about it in that episode the destiny of all of these people like destiny's way I'm still confused as to whose destiny it was talking about or how many people's destiny. Yeah. But, um, yeah, Vergier, um was actually one of the more unsatisfying in, in a lot of yeah. ways. Like, I loved Savan La dying in that book. I thought that was really fun. But Jaina taking him out was great. Um, as far as um, kind of death scenes, outside of obviously Anakin and Chewie, which I'll kind of park over here is obvious, but, like, the thing that shook me, kind of, Jay, how you were saying, like, when you were reading the description, like, what is it, Sava 17, when she, when, um, oh. she, she got, attacked that ship at the beginning yeah. of Scott's book, and her people were yeah. spinning out the back. Like starfish, yeah. Yes. Oh, my God. I was like, it felt like a horror movie. Absolutely. When, the way they told it was incredible. Mm-hmm. It was gripping, yeah. and the, the... I was shook and I could feel the grief and I, I, and again, they did grief so well in so many ways. And they think they did grief really well for that character Mm -hmm. dealing with that. um, It was really only Leia's grief that I didn't buy, but everything else. So that to me was kind of the one death scene in a way that outside of the two major characters that I can't quite. I love the way they write Um, that scene because you can see it coming, right? Not exactly. Maybe that, thing happening but it's going to be bad because the way she's embracing the revenge components going on like you know it's going to be bad Mm -hmm. and you're like how do you not see this in yourself you can tell you're doing it revenge stop and they it's like they knew she would do it oh my god it was just so that was heartbreaking Mm -hmm. really really heartbreaking like some of these planets would blow up and i wasn't like grieving for the planet i just was reading but that moment i was like yeah the number that they give at the end of the book was like 365 trillion people and at some point i was just like and like who went like we didn't get enough of the like the other government people the other um people within the world to actually care we cared about 12 people out of those you know trillions of people they just didn't well i mean the the old adage the old adage is one person dying is a tragedy a hundred people dying is a statistic yeah it, you know, mm-hmm. it's sometimes it's when you start to get those big numbers, it's hard to really feel for all of them. Yeah. You know, you feel for the ones that, you know, mm-hmm. um, as for me, uh, Chewie, that's the most memorable death yeah. is Chewbacca, uh, Anakin again. And like, but like K2 said, we'll put those to the side. The, the other scene that I really like, I like Borsk Phalia's death. I like mm. Borsk allowing the Yuzan Vong to come in and then hit him blowing up 
like a boss. Yeah, blowing up the uh, basically the Senate building, mm-hmm. and take it. I I think the book says he takes out about twenty five thousand Vong when yeah. he blows it up. Um, he just rose to the top of the kill chart. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was good. Yeah. That's one of the coolest things Borskvelia has ever done in his career. Oh yeah, yeah. But dude, I love Borsk. I, I, it still kills me that we don't know what Abothan looks like in canon. We have pictures and legends. We know there's Bothans in canon, but we don't know what they look like. It, it, it's ridiculous. And right now, yeah. I, I think now they're just trolling us. I think it's been like you know forty years. I think they're just trolling you. But, yeah, they're bunnies. Yeah. Duh. Yeah, bunnies. They're dog bunnies. Right. <laughs> so, uh, we had a couple emailers email in. To sh- they wanted to give their appreciation to what we did, you know, with this podcast. So, I wanted to include them in here. Uh, we had two emails. I'll read them briefly. I'm not going to read the entire emails. Um, The first one comes from Ugo, and he says this was his first time reading the New Jedi Order also. He read along with the podcast. Um, He also had a really hard time seeing Chewie die at first, but he liked how it came full circle, and they had the tribute to him at the end. Like Jay... And me, Zanama Seacott didn't quite work for him. But the way he's dealing with it is he thought Zanama Seacott was kind of like the cave on Dagobah, that it gives people visions through the Force. Do anyone, does anyone have thoughts on that? Uh, personally, that's not the way I see it, but I could see that from a certain point of view, as Obi-Wan Kenobi would say. And uh, Ugo, if that's what works for you, Great, uh, but for me, I don't think these were mass visions for everyone on the planet because the with the Pharaohans, they've lived there for generations, and Zenoa Seacott comes and talks to them pretty often. Um, but uh, does anyone else have a thought about comparing the, cave? the vision of Seacott with the visions you got in the Dagobah cave? I don't know if I could compare them, but I I liked Zanama Seacott much more than you guys did. Um, I thought it was cool because I didn't need the explanation. But as far as that idea of the cave, what's interesting is like you could argue the cave did what it was supposed to do, right? It was it did what Luke needed or whatever, and maybe Zanama Seacott did a little bit of the same. So I don't know if there are parallels or um, I'm trying to think of it in a story. Um, kind of like the room of requirement in Harry Potter, right? Where it does what it needs to do for the person requesting. So I don't know. Ooh, I don't know. I don't know. It's a good, that's a good thought anyway, because it's certainly can't dispute it really. I think it kind of did that for Jason because he was so determined to find it. So it kind of was his cave only that he knew he needed to get there. He knew he was going to find some answers when he got there. So the journey to get to Zenoma Seacott could have been a bit like the cave there. Now, once he got there, it definitely posed more of a problem, more of an interaction, but definitely the journey and how much determination and answers Jason thought we were going to be there felt similar. The way I think of Zenoma Seacott is 
I just think of it as like an all-powerful force deity. And so to me, you know, when you get into religion, it's like, well, you know, if you believe in an all-powerful God, then anything goes. I mean, a- anything can happen, right? And if Sanama Sakat is basically, you know, the living embodiment of the force, well, force project, you know, a force projection of some kind, sure, why not? Why, why, why wouldn't I believe that's, that's possible? I, I would think it could do lots of things that I'd never seen before. So it's not really something I ever questioned. Just like, okay, the planet can do this. It's one of the things. I guess in do. that, for people who follow a lot in canon, I guess there are similarities to what you're describing, Scott, with the Mortis planet in canon. I don't know that. And the Mortis gods that. being Seacott. Do I? What? Oh, oh, the, yeah, 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 yeah. From, with uh, the father, the son, yeah, yeah, yeah. and the daughter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, Seacott being, you know, that for this. Yeah, yeah. similar. Yeah, I, I, I can see that parallel um, after seeing, like, the Mortis arc. Um, with the Dagobah cave, I kind of struggle because we know that Zanama Seacott has the ability to choose and make choices, where the Dagobah cave is just a area that is very strong in the dark side of the force and when Luke puts his lightsaber and his blaster on Yoda says your weapons you will not need them you only take what you need in there and he didn't need his weapons it was to show him something else and in a way Seacott did that but they still had to petition Seacott to change its mind um so i don't feel like having a spiritual vision and a constructive argument really are the same thing ugo continues uh he talks about how one of the things he missed in the series were the bounty hunters specifically the mandalorians and one of the things he likes is the ebook Boba Fett, A Practical Man. Now, it came out in 2006, so that after the series was complete, but it ties in to the New Jedi Order. I have read it before. I read it again after we were finished. I don't know if any of you guys read it, but Boba Fett of Legends, and Jay, from what you have read, you can probably attest to this. The Boba Fett of Legends is vastly different from the Boba Fett of canon um i'll let you answer this about the mandos is that something you would have liked to have seen in this series because you you like them more than i do i really i've never really had that much interest in mandalorians and their culture but uh is that something that you would have liked to have seen how they were how they would have reacted to the vong invasion yes and i say that when I first read that, that wasn't a, really a thought of mine. Um, again, some of my memories about what happens later on were kind of coming back as I was reading this, and some of that stuff happens in other series um, at a later date. Um, so now knowing that, yes, I, I wanted to know. I was extremely thrilled when we got that little shout-out on that outpost that Boba Fett was there with a bunch of Mandalorians and just kind of gave Han a nod. It was like, yep, dude, I've got nothing against you. 
it was business and moved on uh, another not quite as random as lord nyax but another just random part of the new jedi order series but at least that one was blink and you miss it versus nyax took over but for me when when i saw that scene that was when i realized that that part of the universe was missing right when i when i read that i was like oh yeah there's this other major civilization out there that are known warriors where are they what are they doing <laughs> it would have been interesting to see if when han and leia were traveling the galaxy to try to bring people together if they would have stopped on Mandalore to see if they could have brought the Mandalorians in to help. Or, or even um, when Han was trying to find the, the Rin network and um, it, had he run into Boba Fett in that bar, right? That's known to be full of, um, you know, seedy people. Right, like there, there's a bunch of spots that that could have happened throughout, and then maybe because if Boba Fett had been in those spots, that would have been a, a road to hey, maybe we can negotiate with Mandalore. Lastly, Ugo says that his favorite part of the story was Jason's journey. Jason was his favorite character, and one of his favorite parts was in Balance Point, where Jason finally decided, yes, I am going to use the Force fully. And he stepped in and saved his mother from Savong La. Um, Scott, you have said this whole time that Jason was your favorite character in the series. Was that, was that one of your favorite parts of the series? When he stepped in to save Savong La? When, when, or, or well, just Savang when he La finally decided... Because remember, for the beginning of that book, he had decided, I'm not yeah. using the Force anymore. Yeah. yeah, Jason's journey is, is you know, to me the most... There are other good journeys, too. Jane is, is, is interesting. Anakin's gets cut short, but is also interesting. But, but Jason's, to me, is kind of the most profound journey that they're taking. It's, a, it's an internal one, right? A questioning, you know, where the Jedi really belong in the universe, kind of, kind of like Luke is. And, yeah, in this moment, he chooses to act, which... You know, that's one of my favorite parts of Betrayal is with the coaching of Berger. One of the things she says to him repeatedly, choose and act. And Jason is very good at thinking about things. And we all, I think, well, some people maybe not. I envy them. Most of us get get struck with some paralysis of analysis where we're just thinking and thinking and thinking of what the right thing to do and what the correct path is. And we, we struggle to just pick one and, and do it because... If you don't, you're just letting life go by, right? And uh, so in the moments where Jason chooses to act, it's hard because it feels against his character. But there come time, there's a whole part where he's with Han and Leia where, um, I don't know, they explode part of a ship and there's a whole chemical reaction thing that I didn't really understand that happens. But he's with them and he's just kind of following his dad's orders. And it's like it feels kind of counter-character that he's just doing these military, these violent things because it goes against what he's been preaching about, you know, kind of taking himself away from that. So anytime he acts, I'm like, not sure. But at the same time, you have to do something. One of my favorite scenes from any movie is when uh, Paul Rudd's character is trying to teach someone to surf. Uh, and, and he's like, surfing's easy. Just lay on the board 
and don't do anything. And so the guy eventually just, he literally just lays on the board. Like, well, you got to do something. Well, you know, Jason has to do something. He has to act somehow. You, you can't just do nothing. And so the moment he chooses for himself, Vergera's coaching to choose an act, his own journey to get to that place where acting is okay out of love. And I'm interested to see where it goes in this book, you know, because I still don't think he's really found that spot. I really don't. I, I think he finds it in spots. He finds it momentarily where he thinks it's okay. And he's like, Oh, it fits. I'm doing this out of love, but it, it's not it, the, the pieces don't always fit for him. He seems confused to me like his. And I think I talked about it another time. His detachment is worries worrisome i think he he seems confused early on but even later to some level scott when he is finally acting it still seems like he doesn't know what he wants you know if he has any wants at all he 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 knows what he needs to do but he doesn't know what he wants to do he doesn't know what he wants in life He's, he's burdened with a conscience that thinks too much. Mm-hmm. And those people, uh, you know, I feel really bad for because not, most of us don't even ask that question. What do I want? I want food. I want air. I want water. I want a you know, place to live in and people to love. But like, what do I want? Like at my core, self-fulfillment, a lot of people never even get there. Right. And he's burdened with it at 15 every day of his life. And yeah, I feel like he doesn't, he still doesn't know. And it's more than just himself. It's what does the universe need, right? And where do I fit there? Right. So By the end of the series, it's a big question. He comes up with a list of things he knows he doesn't want to do and places he doesn't want to go. That's yeah. <laughs> like, he comes up with a very long list. And then Jaina's like, okay, but what do you want? Or where do you think you should go? And he's like, hmm, no clue. But, but he do, no, he does. He chooses and he acts. He's going to yeah. go visit these other cultures, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And try to find the force. Yeah. yeah, he's going to try to find these other force users, yeah. these other force cultures. So the second email came from Matthew, who, first off, he wanted to say that everyone did a fantastic job uh, covering the series. Uh, thank you very much, Matthew. Um, he noted that some of the issues we had with the Yuzhan Vong, specifically, I think Matt and I brought it up, some of the stuff of torture some of the graphic scenes in the early half of the series and Matthew says that the Yuzhan Vong war is based on a religious holy war and he thinks that the violence was necessary to establish the depth of the Vong society and I guess the uh, uh, just how much they believe in what they are doing. Um, I will say for me personally, I don't have a problem with the amount of violence. The only things that I sometimes had an issue with were, were the scenes of torture in the uh, embrace of pain early on, specifically with Elagos and Shadal Shai. I just thought that some of those scenes lasted a little too long. Like, I didn't need to hear about all the tendons popping, all the ligaments stretching, stuff like that. Um, Does anyone else 
have any opinion on Matthew's email? I agree with you. I think, you know, the, the, the language used uh, can change the message a lot. Uh, you can, you can indicate a level of, a level of um, conviction and purpose in someone's, you know, uh, holy, holy war without going into maybe that much detail. That said, it didn't bother me like it bothered you. I know that stuff bothers me. Um, I don't, I, you know, I come from reading books that are much more violent than this. Sure. Uh, and it doesn't, it doesn't bother me at all. Uh, you know, I don't think they're books aimed at kids. Uh, so it doesn't bother me from that respect. Um, yeah, I, I, I like reading violence. Uh, I detest, I, I will it's say, weird. I detest violence in real life. Yeah. Uh, like of all kinds. Um, but, <laughs> but I will say I understand why those scenes are there though specifically in the first quarter to third of the series, it's to lay out that we are supposed to be disgusted by the Yuzhan Vong. You know, we are supposed to find them distasteful early on. And in some aspects, I think they do a good job then later taking the disgust that we feel for them. And like Kat says, why do I feel bad when I think Harar has died? Why do I feel bad when Nanyam, who helped torture Tahiri in the first third of the series, why do I feel bad for her when she's dead at the end, when she's killed? Um, so I understand those scenes. I just think sometimes they were a little much. See, I, I, I'm like Scott. I really didn't have a problem with them. Um, but what I brought back to when I was reading some of those is if we were watching it visually you'd see and hear what was happening right maybe not to the point where like you the the tendons are popping but you may hear a pop right and see someone in some version of a rack right so seeing that you already kind of understand what that character is going through when you're reading it if they just said, yeah, he was stretched in a rack, you may just blow over it. And then, you know, when we get to the end of those books where, you know, Harar and Ninyem have both done terrible things, but we feel sorry for them, right? We're kind of cheering for them. Had we not seen that brutality at the beginning, we may not be at that sympathetic part at the end where they are showing a massive change to how they were previous. And I never, I never got to that sympathetic point, by the way. But <laughs> and, and I, I, I just again, um, I said it earlier, where I feel like with this series, when it was made, they weren't sure that it was going to be anything more than this series. So I feel like they were given the authority. All gloves are off. There's a shock value here. We want something that has never been seen in Star Wars before. Go. And we really got that, right? It wasn't the Empire. It wasn't a Sith Lord. This was something that was very, very physical and not political. It's not a one-on-one. -on -one. This is an entire culture that get almost gets off on this, right? So it's a complete different mentality of how you deal with that person that civilization when 
this is their, lack of a better term, entertainment for themselves. <laughs> that they think they are gaining something by putting themselves through these scarifications, these amputations, submitting themselves to the embrace of pain, right? Because I feel like uh, it was Shadow Shai that we see a couple times who's coming out of one of them and being like, I just had a shower, right? Like it was, it was a normal part of their routine. And we, we, we do see some of the other Vong groups kind of just mention them as crazy. I think it's in the last book. They're like Shadow Shai and the embrace of pain, that stuff's crazy. Like some of the others don't revere that. Yeah, like he was a, he was a zealot, right? And it was like he took it a little too far. But again, you needed that this is the extreme to come back the other way. Yeah, right. Well, thank you very much for the emails, Hugo and Matthew, and uh on behalf of the round table here, uh thanks for thanks for following us through the uh New Jedi Order series. Yeah, thanks. Definitely. It's fun to know people were out there suffering with us. No food questions today? What's happening? Uh, I have not gotten anything from Jew. Jew no, no. has not sent anything this week. So, Before we wrap this up, because we are closing in on two hours here, um, is there anything about this series that you guys wanted to talk about? I mean, we still have a couple things if you wanted from the list that K2 uh wrote out but were is there anything about the series that piqued your interest or surprised you or i don't know uh any anything that you guys want to want to mention my biggest surprise well i talked about a couple already but like the empire and stuff i thought that was just that was a fun surprise the thing that kind of through me was everyone's dedication and commitment no matter who it was to slavery right the like the vong were committed to slaves and the the alliance the alliance or the government um i can't even think of what everyone's called um that they were taking the indentured servants um you know the refugees from these planets and making them slaves and it was just like every time you turned around there was another um, kind of angle where they, and it just, it was just so inhumane and constantly in your face. Just I, the books to Scott's point, what he, I think he just said a minute ago, these are not for children, right? This, these are not kids books. There's a lot of mature themes of the violence that was just discussed, the slavery, the lack of sex is problematic. Like, there should have been a lot more love. But when you think about the violence and the slavery in this, where's the love, right? There probably should have been a better balance of that. But that was the one thing when I was like kind of thinking about the series that jumped out off the page at me was like. That, that was the, uh, I'm trying to remember, that was the agricultural planet, right? Where. Han and Leia and Jason were, and that's where they sent Jaina to convalesce after she had been stuck, or she had been caught extravehicular out in space. They had shaved her head. I still want to see the picture of Jaina's shaved head. I still want to see that. There was that, but there was other parts too earlier in uh, Agents of K. The one we did, they were they were. One of the planets was asking for the refugees and they, everybody was like, why are they asking for the refugees? But it was because they were turning them into indentured servants and the rich people could buy their way off 
And the poor people had to stay and and work for free. And so that's where Han meets the rest of the Ren group, right? Uh-huh. I don't know if it jumped out at me as I don't know. I I was watching Empire on Friday night actually, uh, with my kids and I was just watching this scene in the Millennium Falcon with Han and Leia and just how the electricity, uh, mm-hmm. you know, is there my hands dirty, my hands are dirty too, that whole one of the best scenes in cinema in in my opinion, in the history of all all movies. Um I just love that scene so much, the chemistry between the two. And the thing that you miss in Star Wars is post-Jedi, we don't get any of it, on anything on film with them, right? And unless you read, go back and read Legends books, you don't get any of that relationship. And this, these 19 books really helped give me a lot more of that between those two. Even though they were separated for much of the, you know, the first seven or whatever books it is, these last books, whether K2 believed it or not, I did. And I loved their interaction, how they found each other later in life, as a lot of a lot of parents do have to kind of reconnect, you know, and find each other in a different way. And I really believe the way they did that and how they prioritized each other and um, the dynamic that they kind of remade based on their old roles. Uh, I, I really I was really thankful for having that. So that's what I'll say about the series. I'm just thankful for the introduction for these characters. I want full arcs for Tahiri and Jaina and Jaina and Jag and Droma. I would I could read a nine book series on just Droma. I'm telling you. Because I just think they introduced a lot of really unique and interesting characters um, that are different from what we've gotten so far throughout the Star Wars um, like canon. So legacy-wise, you're kind of able to do, um, I'm sorry, legend-wise, you're able to do more with these um, unique characters, with kind of sideline characters. We, at least in these 19 series, we got a little bit of everyone. We might not have gotten enough of everyone, but we definitely got good timelines here and there from each of one of these characters. So I'm super, super thrilled that we got their storylines and their kind of interactions with everyone. Jay? Oh. <laughs> the thing that always sticks out for me with this stuff is, and it's more just a time frame wise, yes, the prequels were coming out. There was rumblings of episodes 9, 10, 11 coming out. And these books were the hope for 9, 10, and 11. You mean 7, 8, and 9? Yes, 7, 8, and 9. Sorry. So, in a way, I feel robbed having seen these characters grow and some of them, you know, were introduced in the books, but they had a full life. And I feel almost robbed that a lot of them didn't make it into the current canon movies even a mention a brief you know flashback something um what also always you know sticks out is that the there was so much in these stories that you could have done a whole series on wedge like the x-wing series based around these books Right, 
there was so much of the universe in these books and it felt like Star Wars. There's not, I think there was one book in, at least in my opinion, in the entire series that did not feel like a Star Wars book and it felt a bit more like a Star Trek book. But to me, this was Star Wars. And I feel like they really, in a lot of ways, captured what the original trilogy had. Right? The interactions between the characters. You know, even like, there was times where I, all I could hear was Harrison Ford's voice as Han Solo. Or Carrie Fisher as Leia. And not because that's who I expect, but because it felt like it was them talking. And I think the authors, in a lot of ways, really captured that really well. Jay, from what you were talking about there, about Legends, aspects of Legends getting into canon, we know they are picking and choosing. There are parts of Legends that come into canon. Um, Now, the solo children will never come into canon. They just can't do that. And the one other character I think would be extremely, well, I guess the two other characters would be extremely difficult and would, I don't think would ever happen, would be Mara and little Ben Skywalker. I just, I don't think those would. But any of the others, Talon Card, I still think Talon Card is going to show up at some point. Talon Card is going to show up because they do so much now in canon with, Smugglers, smugglers and bounty yeah, hunters and talent card is going to show up at some point i i'm 100 percent convinced of that well my my favorite jedi has made an appearance already in uh in obi-wan so corin horn was the young kid oh that little kid's corin horn oh well he's listed the credits as as corin valia just saying they've They've picked to choose, but that that little dude that got saved by the fake Jedi uh, is is the former name of Corrin Horn. So maybe, maybe that's Corrin Horn. We, well, it is Corrin Horn. We don't know if it's the same Corrin Horn. We don't know if it's the same Corrin Horn. Don't make me watch Obi Wan again. Where where was this? So I can go watch that part. Uh, I think it's in the second episode, isn't it? It's when uh, they're. Uh, a mother and the son are trying to get smuggled off of that one planet. And it's the guy they, who, who he's the charlatan. He's the charlatan who's acting like a Jedi, okay. but he's not a Jedi. Okay. That little kid is corn horn, <laughs> but you don't get that. You don't know that until you see the credits, the credits call him corn. Mm. Yeah. There's plenty of opportunity to pull Kip Duran in. Absolutely. Yeah. Big time. Just saying. I mean, we're almost ending. We had to get one more Kip Duran conversation. <laughs> and Droma. Plenty of planets for him to blow up. I, I'd love to see some actual claw craft um, fly around. I know we've done some stuff with Thrawn, but like, I want the claw craft. I want the Chiss vessel, vessels. I think there's a really good chance of that when... I mean, because they've already done a lot with the Chiss in canon in the books. And I have a feeling we're at least going to see them at some point. We may never see a Bothan, but I do think we're going to see more Chiss <laughs> at some point. It'll be the red herring. I, I will say for me, the 
best part of this series for me was just for the first time getting to discuss these books with people. Um, There's a third time, fourth time, sorry, fourth time I've read them. Um, When I did read them the first time, there was one other guy in the house that I shared at college who started reading them. But, you know, it's college. Eventually you move away. And uh, I think I think he only read like the first two or three books. Um, When Chewie died, he came into my room. He opened the door and just threw the book at me (laughs) when Chewie died. (laughs) So I remember that. It's a proper reaction. uh, Yeah. Yeah. It's like, take this back. You know, (laughs) I don't want this anymore. That's awesome. You deserve that. So I have a question because when we were talking last time, Aaron, you'd said this, this round table, this, this group of us wasn't your idea. Whose idea was it to do this? So on the former Twitter, when I released the schedule for last year, a couple of you made mention that you wanted to just read some more books. And I don't know which one it was. I think it was actually you, K2, who said, why don't we just read some of the books that is on Aaron's list here for this season? And I jumped in and said, well, you know, the New Jedi Order that I show here, that's 19 books. And the discussion still went between you guys. And you said, yeah, I'd like to read them. So then that's when I jumped in and just said, look, if you are serious about this and you want to read them, come on the podcast with me because I want to talk about them. Um, And it just popped in my head that me talking about 19 books was going to get a little stale for the listeners. And it would have been a lot more interesting, I thought, to have additional voices on. Voices that had read them before, voices from people who had never read them before and were experiencing them for the first time. So I don't think there was any one person who came up with it. I think it was sort of like the podcast. I think it was fairly collaborative. It was a we had a group chat going. We had a group chat going and it just snowballed. It was a bandwagon and we hopped on. Okay, we've passed the two hour mark. So it's time to wrap things up today. I want to sincerely thank my co-hosts, Kat, Jay, Matt, K2, and Scott for everything they brought to our coverage of the New Jedi Order. And don't worry, listener, you'll hear from them again on this podcast. There are plenty of other series for them to discuss. And I have plans to bring on additional voices in 2024. That's very exciting. If you have a question or comment for the show, you can email me at swlegendslounge at gmail.com or send me a tweet at legendslounge1. Thank you so much for listening to this special episode of the Star Wars Legends Lounge. I'm Aaron Motes. May the Force be with you. And remember, there's always a bit of truth in Legends. <laughs>